<laughs> My name is Sophia. My name is Steve. My name is Lauren. Jade. Greg. Ben. Lindsay. June. I'm a student. I am an advocate for mental health. I'm a dad. I am a videographer. I am a giant nerd. I am an engineer. I'm a senior in high school. I'm a barista. I'm a volleyball player. I'm a husband and father of four. I am a designer. I am a foster dad. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Welcome to Front Range. My name is Ernest Smith. I'm the lead pastor, and we're so grateful you guys are with us. I feel like that question before the greet uh, was, uh, um, uh, I don't know, it could bring out a lot of conflicts. I just need to make sure that, like, we squash what the best candy is. It's black jelly beans. So I'll eat that whole bag by 2 p.m. Hey, man, we're so grateful that you guys are here. Uh, our hope and prayer is that this will become a home for you, a place where you can build community, discover your purpose, and grow in your faith in Jesus. I want to let you know about something that's happening in a little less than a month. We have this thing called Easter taking place. Uh, and for this year, for Easter, we finally got a location that we've been trying for seven years. We're going to be meeting at the Event Center at the Douglas County Fairgrounds. Yeah, I'm super, super excited about that. We've literally been trying for seven years. We've been told no every single year. Like, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And then this year, they're like, we'd love to have you. So uh, kind of a a God miracle. So that area is where, uh, like, the JBF sale goes on or the daddy-daughter dance, uh, if you know the huge room that's there. So uh, we need to fill that thing up. So make sure that you invite your friends, your neighbors. Uh, uh, We've been planning Easter the last couple weeks, and and, uh, it's going to be really, really, really powerful. So please do not miss it. Uh, we're only going to have one service, so the whole church will be together, which is awesome. Uh, so if you need any information or you want to invite people or whatever, go to easterincasserock.com. That's easterincasserock.com, and we'll get you all the information. And next week, we'll start having yard signs and things like that um, uh, for you guys to start promoting it as well. Today, we're going to continue our series on Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, where we're trying to discover your true identity. And we've had this kind of mindset that this idea that if you don't know who you are, then you don't know what is yours to do. Meaning that if you don't know who God created you to be, then there's no way you can know your purpose. Uh, But if you do know who you are, then you do know what is yours to do and why God placed you here and all of that. And uh, today, I believe that God's going to move in a powerful way. Man, we just had... Uh, a really, really powerful first service. So I just want to start off just, um, uh, and let's pray and let's ask God to show up in this place. Father, we come before you and I thank you so much, God, that you are good, you are faithful. And I pray, Father, you would meet us in this place. God, you know what each one of us is walking through. You know what we're dealing with, God. You, you know the joys and you know the sorrows. And I pray, Father, you would just meet us in this place today. And God, you would let your presence be known in such a powerful way, God, that we would be able to walk out of here going, man, I, I I interacted, I encountered the presence of the living God. And we thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so earlier this week, I was thinking about some of the mysteries of life, like the super deep things of life. Like, why do you park on a driveway and drive on a parkway? You know, like really deep things. Like, can a man ever truly understand a woman? If you've ever asked that, the answer is no. Uh, why uh, Why don't psychics play the lottery? Like, if I'm a psychic, I'm playing the lottery I'm going to be super, super rich. Uh, why is the word abbreviation so long? You ever thought about that one for a second? Uh, if pro is the opposite of con, then what is the opposite of progress? Some of you will get that later, maybe in the fall, 
when we're voting for those uh, in Congress. Uh, today, we're going to look at how Paul, some of you still haven't gotten it. I'm so sorry. Um, uh, today, we're going to be looking at uh, a great mystery of the faith. Paul calls it a great mystery to our faith. If you have our Bibles, we're going to jump straight in. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. It's going to be on the screen. If you need a Bible, go to our Connections tent or uh, download the Bible app, either one of those. Uh, we'd love to uh, get that for you and just help you on your spiritual journey. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 3. We're starting in verse 2. Here's what it says. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. So, hey, guys, you've already heard about this great mystery. I've already told you about it. Well, what mystery, Paul, are you talking about? Look at verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. All right, stop there. So there's two groups of people in this passage. You've got the Israelites, who are the Jewish people, and you've got Gentiles, which means non-Jew. So everybody in this place and everybody watching online falls into one of those two camps. Either you're an Israelite, you come from Jewish heritage, or you're a Gentile, meaning you're not, you didn't come from Jewish heritage. For me, I'm a Gentile. And Paul's saying the great mystery is this, that God is now allowing the Gentiles into the family. That God is now allowing the non-Jews to come into the family of God. And not only that, but they're co-heirs. Meaning that whatever the Jews get, the Gentiles get. The, 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 the status, the position, the access to God, the blessings of God, all the things that the Jewish people have talked about for centuries, now the Gentiles are getting. Now to the Jews, they must be thinking, are you kidding me? Like, Really? Like, God, you're going to allow the Gentiles into the family? They're not even just into the family. Like, now we have to share in the blessings that you give to us. We have to share with the Gentiles? Like, we're Abraham's offspring. We're God's chosen people. We've been following God for thousands of years. The Gentiles, they've always been on the outside looking in. They've, they've always been the ones that have opposed us. They've always been the ones who have opposed you, God. And now you're letting them into the family this isn't fair. You know, in our world, our, our economy, we work on fairness. Uh, we all want fairness in our lives, right? I mean, I remember growing up, my sister, when she turned 16, she got a brand new Mitsubishi Eclipse. Now, in the 90s, that was a cool car. I don't know if it's cool anymore or not, but like, I was like, what? She got this brand new car? I can't wait because when I turn 16, I'm gonna get a brand new Corvette, you know, or whatever. Like I, surely that Eclipse costs the same amount as a Corvette. And so I was so excited. Then I turned 16 and it, there was nothing. And then a few months after I turned 16, my dad's like, let's go get you a car. I'm like, yes. And then we go to this old car lot and I drive off with a, a 1985 Honda CRX. And if you don't know what that is, you're not cool. Uh, it was old, it barely worked, and I remember being so mad. Now think about how entitled that is, first of all, that I got a car when I was 16 and I was mad about it, but I was mad because it wasn't fair. My sister always got everything. She was the firstborn, and I'm the baby, and I don't know about your, where you are in the pecking order, but for me being the baby, man, it was awful, and I never got anything that she got. It wasn't fair. But fairness isn't really what life's about. I mean, fairness really shouldn't be the goal of, of, of our lives. We all want fairness, but 
It's not really reality, right? I mean, like now I have kids and I get it, right? The other day I bought something for one of my kids and the other kid came to me and goes, well, you didn't buy me anything. That's not fair. And I said, what every good parent says, I said, life isn't, say it with me, life isn't fair, right? But we want fairness and we project this desire for fairness onto God. Like we see somebody in their life and and maybe they're a good person. They've done some good things. And so they get blessings. And, and we see, man, they've got a really good life. Like they've got enough money. They've got enough possessions. They seem to have good relationships. They've got a good marriage and all of that. If I'm a good person, I'll get all those things as well. And then we become good people. And then we begin to, to have bad things happen in our lives. We're like, well, God, where are you? God, why are you allowing these bad things to happen to me? It is not fair. The Jewish people must be thinking at this point, life isn't fair. God, you are not fair. And yet God's looking at it going, but the Gentiles are my creation too. I created them. I love them. And I want them to be a part of the family. Love isn't always fair. Love is always right, but it's not always fair. Now, this is a major shift. It doesn't feel like it for you and I, because we're a couple thousand years after this point, but this is a major shift in the church. I mean, the Jewish people, they're going, hold on, now we're adding in these Gentiles. Like, can we trust them? You know, are we going to look uh, onto them with skepticism and, and, and questioning their motives and all of that? And the Gentiles are going, are they actually going to let us into the family? Like, are, are they going to allow us to do anything? Are they going to allow us into leadership or anything like that? Are they actually going to accept us as a part of God's family? This is a massive shift. And at this point, it can either grow the church exponentially or destroy the church. This is a big deal. And it's right in this moment that Paul writes some of the most hopeful words. Some words that I believe are gonna be super impactful for us today. Look at verse 12. It says, in him, meaning Christ, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. In him, and through faith in him. What does it mean to have faith in him? Who have faith in Christ, it means that you recognize that you're a sinner. Now, all of us are sinners. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of God's perfect standard. So unless you're perfect, you're a sinner. All of us are sinners. And, it, and it's recognizing that God in his great love loved you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to pay the penalty that we deserve to pay. Jesus paid that penalty. He died on the cross for us, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead, showing his power over death and over sin. So it's receiving that, it's accepting that, it's believing that Christ loves you so much that he died for you and through his death you can have salvation and freedom and life and peace and eternal life and all of that. That's what it means to have faith in him. And so this passage says, if you have faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. We can have access to God. This is massive. Because this wasn't a concept that they understood at that point. I mean, not everybody got access to God. And Moses went up on the mountain and, and the, the cloud circled around the mountain and, and Moses met with God, but all the rest of us, we just stayed down below. And to go into the Holy of Holies where God dwelt in the temple, there was only one allowed in there. The high priest was the only one allowed in. The rest of us, we just stood outside. So it was always somebody else's job to go meet with God. I can't meet with God. It's the pastor's job to go meet with God. I can't meet with God. And yet God is saying right here, no, no, no. In Christ and through faith in Christ, you now have access. You can now 
boldly go to the throne of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one in charge of all things. It's kind of like my buddy. My buddy uh, played a, a long time in the NFL, and, and so he's got access to people that you and I have only seen on the TV that, that some of us have, have cheered on, and he can call up Peyton Manning. He knows where Peyton lives and, and all of that. I don't have access to that. I don't even have access to that through my friend, but I have access to God. It's so much greater that we have access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who controls all things. That Jesus is telling us in this moment that you and I can now approach the throne of God with confidence and with freedom. But what does that mean? I mean, what does it mean to have freedom in Christ? I mean, when we talk about freedom in our country, we understand what that means, right? Like if you have freedom in, the, in our country, it means you have the freedom to move wherever you want. You have the freedom to vote for whoever you want. You have the freedom to worship whoever you want. We, we understand the concept of freedom in our country, but what does it mean to have freedom in Christ? Let me give you three, three things from this passage that, that we receive because we have freedom in Christ. Number one, we have strength in Christ. Strength in Christ. Look at verse uh, 16 and 17. It says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So he's saying right here that, that you receive strength in Christ when you have faith in him. Now, I wonder if any of us have ever needed strength before. I wonder if any of us have ever been tired. Ever just been exhausted and I don't mean just like uh, a nap will help me today. I mean like an eternal nap might help me today. Like, man, I'm just, I'm tired of my circumstances. I'm tired of people. I'm tired of what's going on. You ever been there? If you haven't been there in the last two years, you're not human. Right? I mean, I've been there so many times where I'm just kind of, I'm just done. I'm done with certain people. I'm done with certain groups. I'm done with certain family members. And I just kind of want to throw in the towel. I'll be like, y'all figure it out. Don't come talk to me. Don't come ask for advice because you don't take it anyways. You know, like, I'm done. You ever been there? And when you get to that place, we think, well, what's going to help me? Maybe I need more sleep. Or maybe I need to change my diet. Or maybe I need some medication. Or maybe I need to go on vacation. And we make some changes like that and we realize it actually doesn't help. That we're still exhausted. That we're still tired. We're still just, just kind of done. Why? Because making these changes outwardly doesn't help us inwardly. Like when the, the, the exhaustion is inner, and the power doesn't come from just changing our circumstances. The power's got to come from outside of us. It's, it's kind of like my phone. Like, if my phone dies, you know, then, then what do I do? Like, if it, if it runs out of battery, what do I do? Well, I can, I can let it sit there. Just hope that it's going to charge itself back up. I could go trade it in. I can go say, hey, I need another phone. This thing's not working very well. Can you give me another phone? And that other phone will probably be, you know, charged at some level. I get that phone. Then after a couple hours or whatever, then, then it dies again. Then every day I'm having to trade that phone in. I could pray for my phone. God, please bring power back to my phone. None of that's going to work. What I got to do, I've got to hook it up to an external power source. That's the only way that it charges. 
is by hooking it up to an external power source. So the same is true for you and I. The only way that you and I receive real strength, the only way that you and I receive what we need in those times of exhaustion and, and tiredness and just kind of being done with people, the only way to receive that is through an external source, which here says it's Christ. He says that, that you'll be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being. How? It says so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What does it mean to dwell? Well, that, that phrase, to dwell, literally means to make yourself at home. You've used that phrase before, right? Like somebody comes over to your house and you're like, make yourself at home. What does that mean? It means like you can go to the kitchen and grab yourself something to eat. You know, the bathroom is two doors down on the left or whatever. It doesn't mean you have access to my bedroom or you can go rummaging through my closets or anything like that, right? Like make yourself at home doesn't actually mean make yourself at home. It means enjoy certain spaces. Well, when it comes to our faith, Christ is saying, if you want me to dwell, then I need to make myself at home. Not only do I need to go investigate the dirty closets in the master bedroom, all of those places, but Christ, I need you to clean it up. I need you to redecorate, rearrange, take pictures off the wall, clean up, whatever, it, whatever needs to happen in my life. I need you to investigate all the dark corners of my soul. Because I'm needing strength, inner, this inner strength. And the only way to do it is if Christ, you're dwelling in me. If today you're like, man, I, I could use some inner strength today. My question to you is, is there an area of your house where you haven't let Christ in yet? We said, ah, stay away from those thoughts. Or stay away from my money. Or stay away from this relationship. You can have everything else, God. I submit all to you except for this area of my house. Make yourself at home except for my proposal to you is open the entire house to him. Give him full permission to go anywhere he wants, to clean up whatever he needs, and to redecorate, and you'll find strength. What it means to have freedom in Christ, it means you have strength in Christ. The second thing that you get is you have the love of Christ. Look at verse 17. It says, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. How high and how wide and how long and how deep is the love of Christ? What is Paul saying to them there? He's saying, I want you to understand something that you can't fully understand. I want you to grasp something that you won't be able to fully grasp. Sounds kind of crazy, right? I mean, but here's the reality with God. God is not fully understandable. There's no way you can fully understand the depth of God. If you could... He would cease to be God, and you would be God in his place. And I've just realized I'm a very, very bad God. Like you don't want me in that position. Now, I want to know as much as there is to know about God. And when I first came to faith in Christ, I'm like, man, I need to know it all. And as I've been on this journey, I realize I'll never know it all. But that's also the beauty of the relationship. The beauty of any relationship is that you never fully understand the person. You're always getting to understand them more and more. It's, it's, a, it's a lot like marriage. 
Like my wife and I will be celebrating 20 years uh, this year. And, and man, we've been through a lot of low points. We've been through a lot of high points. But through it all, like we've come to understand each other more. We've come to love each other more. That's what happens in any relationship that as you walk with the person, as you walk in that faith as it pertains to God, then you begin to understand the height and the depth and the width and the length of the love of God. You may not fully understand it, but you'll understand it more and more as you journey with him. So to have freedom in Christ means that you have strength in Christ, that he gives strength to your inner being. It means that you have love of Christ. And lastly, it means you have the power of Christ, the power of Christ. Look at verse 20. It says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's one of my favorite passages in scripture. It says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is able to do immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine? Here's what I've learned about, about God and the journey of faith that, that I've walked so far is that God is able. Now, he doesn't always do it. Like when I prayed for miracles, when I prayed for God to do something miraculous in somebody's life or in my own life, I believe that he can, but I haven't always seen it. And there's that weird like tension, right? That's, that's hard. I was talking to somebody after last service and they're like, and we've prayed for these things to happen and, and it just hasn't happened the way that we wanted. So like God is able, but he doesn't always do it in our timing, in our way, or maybe at all. There's that weird tension. But you still go back to the question, but do you believe that he is able? Because faith is a prerequisite for a miracle to happen. Faith has to be there. Like there's so many times where, where somebody comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, will you do this? And he goes, do you believe? And I, I used to read that and be like, that's such a weird question. Like if they didn't believe Jesus, then they wouldn't have come to you. You know, that's kind of how it feels. Like I wouldn't have asked you for something if I didn't believe you could do something. But then there's a, a, a guy that comes to Jesus in the book of Mark and he says, hey, Jesus, will you do this? And, and Jesus says, well, do you believe? And he says, help my unbelief, like, oh, that's where I've been so many times in my own journey. Help my unbelief. Do you believe? Do you believe that God is able to do immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine? Do you believe that God can heal that sickness, that cancer, Whatever you have going on in your life or a family or a friend has going on in your life, do you, do you believe it? Not, I'm not asking if you prayed for it. I'm asking, do you believe? Do you believe that God is able to heal your marriage? I'm not asking, have you prayed for it? I, I believe you've prayed for it. And some of you are thinking, oh, Ernest, I, man, I've prayed for my marriage so many times and 
my husband or my wife seems to be getting further away from God and not closer to God, like we seem to be separating further, not getting closer. Do you believe that he is able to do immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine? Do you believe that God can heal you of the mental unhealth that you've been wrestling with? Or heal your child or your friend has been walking through some things mentally that you don't understand. Maybe other people haven't seemed to be able to help. Do you believe that God is able to do immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine? Do you believe that God can bring back that child to faith? Ernest, I've, I've prayed for them. I've cried for them. Do you believe? Do you believe that God can restore that friendship. And I don't know why it's broken right now. Maybe it's because some of the petty things that we've been seeing with politics and other things that have been causing splits with relationships and and you just feel very far from somebody or maybe it's with a parent. You've never been able to like truly forgive or let go of some things and you want it healed. You want that relationship restored, whatever that's gonna look like. You want it restored in some way. Do you believe that God is able to do immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine? Do you believe that God can revive your soul? Some of us have just been walking through the motions of faith. We're just hoping and maybe even praying that man, God like stir something inside of us, but don't actually believe that it can happen. Let me tell you a story from my own journey. When I was 19 years old, I was living in Charleston, South Carolina, and I came out here to visit a friend. Uh, it was down in the Springs. And so that Sunday that I was here, we we're like, well, let's go to this church. It's a, a church called New Life. And some of you have been there. Some of you are part of New Life and it's a pretty big church in the Springs. And I don't remember anything that the pastor preached that day, which is really depressing as a pastor. Uh, I don't remember what worship was sung or anything like that. We got toward the end of the service and we were taking communion. They were passing it out. People were going up and taking communion. This guy gets up on stage and he said, hey, I just feel like the Lord has, has been speaking to me for somebody in this room. He said, there's somebody in here that you've been walking through a disease for a long time and you've prayed. you prayed that God would heal you. You don't fully believe. And in that moment, I knew, there might've been other people in the room, but I knew that was me. I had a disease at that point for 19 and a half years, my entire life. And I went to every specialist, every doctor, tried experimental medication, tried everything possible and nothing. And I thought I'd become a follower of Christ about a year earlier and I, and I began praying, God, heal me, God, heal me, God, heal me and nothing. And I was sitting in that room and that pastor mentioned that and I was like, that's me. So I said, okay, God, I want to believe that you can. I'd never seen it before. I'd never seen God do a, like, like a miracle, like a healing before. Like, God, I, I want to believe. So my prayer was this, God, help my unbelief. Like, give me faith somehow to believe that you can and that you are able 
Whether you choose to or not, that's up to you, but help me to believe at least that you are able. So I prayed that prayer, took communion, and I was instantly healed. I, w- I remember going back to Charleston and I told my mom, she was like, yeah, we'll see about that. And I told some other friends, I told some other family members, they're like, mm, okay, that's cool, we'll see. I was completely healed from that moment. Now that's a nice little, that's a nice little story. Put a little bow on it, look at, look at the healing that I got. And I've thought often like, what would have happened if God didn't choose to heal me in that way in that time? When I think about that, I, it's easy to just go back a year, two years prior to that healing going, I just kept praying. I kept praying and I kept trying to get my faith to a place where I could actually believe that he would. And even if he didn't, if my faith was strengthened, if I was able to approach the throne of God more confidently and with greater freedom, then it would all be worth it. Lord, help my unbelief. Do you believe that God is able to do immeasurably more? That God can heal you? That God can restore you? That God can heal that friend? That God can take that situation that seems so bleak and so hard and turn it into something that is so glorious? Do you believe that God is able? The other day we were hanging out with some friends and, and my daughter, she came running up from the, the basement area and, and, uh, and, and I could hear her. She didn't know I could hear her, but she said, I'm gonna go get my dad. He's really strong. And she gets up to the top of the steps and she sees the, the other family. They see, she sees uh, their father in, in the kitchen and she looks over and she goes, uh, my dad's not that strong. I'm gonna go ask him. I was like, what the? She had no clue I could hear her. And then later she comes and she was like, Hey, Dad, will you help me with this? I said, no, apparently I'm not strong enough. I don't know if that was a good parenting move or not. But I feel like that's how we are with God. Like we go, okay, I need God to do something. We run up from the the basement. We're like, ah, but there's all these other things. Let me try these things first. Let me see if these things will work first. Let me see if I I can trust in these things. And God's going, just come to me. Just approach me. And so we're going to do things a a little bit different today. We're going to have a time of response, and I'll kind of lead us through that. But it's going to look a a little bit different. I'm going to ask you to get a little uncomfortable. A little uncomfortable in your faith. For some of us, this will be the first time that we've stepped forward with a major faith step in our lives. I believe that God's going to show up. God's going to do something in our hearts and our lives. I believe he's going to move some mountains. For some of us, we're going to see it. In that moment, others of us, we may never see it. But he's going to draw us closer to his throne. So let me pray and I'll walk us through. Father, we just come before you and I thank you for your mercy and your grace in our lives. I thank you so much for this passage, God, that you tell us that we can actually approach your throne. We can approach you, God, with confidence and freedom. What a powerful truth, Father. That the God of the universe loves us so much, that you care so deeply about us, that you allow us 
to approach you with confidence, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. And because of who you are, we are a son or a daughter of the Most High God. So we can approach you with confidence. We can approach you with freedom. That freedom, we can experience it within strength of Christ. We have strength in you, Lord Jesus. And some of us, God, that's where we are today. We just, God, we're tired. We need some strength. We need you just to move mountains on our behalf, God. So give us rest for our soul, the weariness. God, for some of us, we need to know your love today. This love of Christ, the height, width, depth, the length that, God, we need to understand at a greater level. For some of us, we've been questioning that because of our sin or because of our past or maybe we didn't experience a whole lot of love growing up or maybe we grew up in a church that, man, it it kind of voided the whole concept of God loves you or whatever, God, and we just wrestle with knowing that we know that we know that we know that you love us. God, we need to experience that today. For some of us, God, we need your power. We're walking through some things personally. We're walking through some things with our kids. We're walking through some things with other family or friends, our job situation. God, maybe we know somebody who is walking through those things. And we just need you to show up, God. God, we want to believe that you are able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. God, for some of us today, we're just saying, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief, Father. So God, do your will. Speak to us now. Show up in such a powerful way. In Jesus' name.